Greetings, Word Horde. We're here with an exciting option for you, a version of our podcast without any ads. That's right. No advertising interruptions, just the content you love, ready to go in your favorite podcast apps like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It's another way to support the show, ensuring that we keep bringing you the word stories and language explorations that you love. Try it at waywardradio.org slash adfree. And it's affordable. For just a small subscription fee, you can enjoy Away With Words uninterrupted, except by us. Plus, it makes a great gift. Know somebody who loves language as much as you do? Give them the gift of words. Easy to sign up, easy to enjoy. It's the same Away With Words, just streamlined for your listening pleasure. Go to waywardradio.org slash adfree. Support us, support the show, and enjoy an ad-free listening experience. waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Grant, if something's really easy to do, you would say, oh, that's a, that's a cinch. Yeah, it's yeah, a cinch. Or, or what kind of food would you refer to? That's a piece of cake. Exactly, a piece of cake. And that's what we say in English, but around the world there are various uh, expressions for this that have to do with other kinds of foods. For example, in Dutch, the expression for it's a piece of cake translates as it's a little egg. Isn't that a, sweet? A little egg? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, or in Polish, it translates as, it's a roll with butter. Or in Brazilian Portuguese, I love this one, it's a papaya with sugar. A papaya with sugar. Now that's yeah. a thing. Yeah, isn't that tastier than cake and better uh, no. for you? <laughs> what kind of cake are you eating? I'm thinking of my mom's carrot cake with the cream cheese icing. Oh, <laughs> okay, you win. <laughs> it's a piece. Of Where are you getting these, Martha? These sound fantastic. I am glad you asked, Grant. They are collected in a new book by writer Adam Sharp. He trolls the internet for phrases like this and comes up with some of the funniest, most colorful ways that people around the world find to express themselves. And we've talked about some of his uh, uh, words and phrases that he's found before, like somebody who's really self-important uh, might be described as the Tarzan of the flower pot. Oh, in, yes. That's a Spanish, fantastic phrase. <laughs> but anyway, his new book is called The Wheel is Spinning, But the Hamster is Dead, A Journey Around the World in Idioms, Proverbs, and general nonsense, and I will share more of those later in the show. And that expression means the light's on, but nobody's home. But here, we're both at home, and you can call us 877-929-9673, 24 hours a day. You might get voicemail. And that number works in the United States and Canada. There's also a dozen ways to reach us on our website. No matter where you're listening in the world, go to waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Good morning. This is Marina Abbott calling from the beautiful Valley of the Moon, Sonoma, California. What's up, Marina? What's on your mind? Well, actually, um, I have a question about my last name. As we know, many last names in English come from someone's ancestors type of work, for example, Baker or Smith or Cook and so forth. Um, my last name, Abbott, uh, comes from the head of a monastery, at least that's my understanding, which I've always wondered, aren't they supposed to be celibate, not getting married and passing on their name? So how did myself and many other people end up with the last name Abbott? <laughs> Sometimes people stray, Marina. No, that's shocking. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but it's a good question, Martha, right? Because people it's have a names great like people yeah. have names like Parsons. My my in-laws have the name Parsons. Oh, that's true. That's true. Although Parsons can be married, but what are we to do with all the bishops out there? Or, or nuns oh and my monks. goodness, of course. Or, Right. The yes. What do we do with Thelonious Monk? What do we do with all the people out there named Pope? For heaven's sake. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> this is a bigger story than I ever imagined. <laughs> it may be that uh, people named Abbott were named Abbott because they were employed in the household of an abbot. You know, they had big households. Oh. The church had a lot of money. 
or it may have to do with the fact that they lived near an abbot. You know, we have all these names uh, in not only English, but other languages that have to do with where you live. You know, somebody named Hill lives n- near a hill. Somebody named Woods n- lives near the woods. Or, or in French, Dubois, you know, they live near the woods. Uh, or in uh, Spanish or Italian, Rivera, you know, they live near the rivers. So it could be that somebody lived near the abbot's home. Um, and I've also seen suggestions that maybe it's just that, uh, that someone acted as as pompous as an abbot or, or as pious <laughs> as an abbot. So, oh, so I love that this, one. <laughs> would, would that fit with the rest of your family, Marina? <laughs> you know, um, we're a pretty freewheeling bunch, but I think that that's a really, that's a fun idea. The idea of proximity did occur to me, but mm. it, the, the personality trait aspect of it had not occurred to me. I just think that's really funny. Yeah, so it's it's that simple. It doesn't necessarily mean uh, anything. Well, they didn't have to stray. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They could have yeah. kept their vows. Well, thank you both so much. I just I love your show, and I get so much pleasure out of it. And it's really a treat to be able to talk to you. We got a lot of pleasure from your question. We don't get to talk about onomastics very much. You know, no, the study of we names, love talking so. about names and naming. And that's a good one. Oh. <laughs> All right, take okay, care of yourself. Well, thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Yeah, let's put the call out, Martha. We'd love talking about names and naming, whether it's an Anglophone name or a Hispanic name or a French name or from somewhere else. We'd love to give it a shot and help you find out more about it. 877-929-9673 is a phone number that's toll-free 24 hours a day in the United States and Canada. And there are lots of ways to reach us, no matter where you live in the world. You can find them all on our website at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, this is Lisa Siegel. I'm calling from uh, Pittsburgh, but I'm originally from Dallas, Texas. Hi, Leah. Welcome to the show. So I was calling about a question that I had um, that I've encountered twice in recent days. Um, so first it was a couple weeks ago where I moved into a new, um, dorm situation with college and, um, they let me know that there'd be a bi-weekly cleaning service. And I, at first I was like, oh my gosh, twice a week, they're going to come into my house and like clean my house. That's a lot. Like, when are they coming in? I need to plan around this. And I asked and they said, oh no, we mean once every two weeks. And I said, oh, okay, fine, right? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, same thing happened. I got I got a new job, and they told me I'd be getting biweekly pay. That does not mean I'm getting paid twice a week. <laughs> um, uh-huh. And um, at that point, I did think that, um, you know, I was, like, confused. Because I'm like, all right, well, this means, obviously, now once every two weeks. But then when something happens bimonthly, that's also, that's twice a month that that happens or when something happens biannually, I would think that that's once every six months. So twice a year. So I was wondering why then it's not twice a week when you say biweekly. Yeah. So when they told you the cleaners were coming biweekly, your heart went into your throat, right? You're like, I have to clean up for yeah. the cleaners twice a week. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. I'm not addressing the larger issue here. Where are the dorms that have cleaning services? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I know it was what, it was a what fraud. What school did you go to? I went to the wrong school. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I know I was lucky. It was also yeah. Get this. It was in Italy, so that was the the real the real joy of it. <laughs> oh goodness. Oh good. I imagine the cafe plan was amazing. I know cafeteria exactly. plan. <laughs> <laughs> so Leo, were were they um were they giving you these instructions in Italian or in English when they? We're telling you about they the cleaning were, service. They were telling me this in English. And so initially, I, when I was confused and they corrected me, I thought, oh, maybe this is like a language barrier. Maybe mm. maybe this is on me or maybe like whatever, some communication. But then it mm. happened again when I came back to America. And so I said, wait a minute. <laughs> well, you know, Leah, Grant and I are both really inclusive when it comes to language. And I almost never say that a word should be banished from the language, but mm. I'm going to nominate bi-weekly because it causes 
so much confusion. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, in, in Britain, they say fortnightly, which makes sense, right? Every fortnight. Right. I and, wouldn't um, use the I word banish, ever... Martha. What's let's, that? Let's not use the word banish. Let's just say retire or rusticate <laughs> or give it its re- justed, justly reward, something I, like that. I, I don't know. I think it needs to be convicted and sent away to prison because <laughs> because it is called it has caused so much difficulty for so many people. People, you know, if you show up for your biweekly meeting and then you realize nobody else is there or you think you're going to get paid biweekly and and you're not. <laughs> right. But yeah, you're so, right. Fortnightly is nice, right? Or I, every I, other week or twice a month or semi-monthly mm-hmm. or 26 times a year. Oh, well, but even if they change it, I feel like people would still confuse it. <laughs> it's, it's like when you say... Get off at the next exit. You don't know which exit you're talking about. <laughs> I just think biweekly has caused so much trouble that uh, that I wouldn't even <laughs> touch it. I don't know. Grant may differ. No, I agree. Generally, I, I don't. Again, I don't know about banish, but I, uh, avoiding it is fine. It's it's as uh, Brian Garner puts it. It's skunked. Biweekly is just too problematic. Yeah. If you're looking for clarity and not to have this conversation. Every time it's used, just avoid <laughs> using it. And same for bi-monthly, frankly. Oh, yeah. um, so if you mean every other week, say every other week or fortnightly right. or 26 <laughs> times a year. Right? Right. Uh, if you mean the other thing, say twice a week or 104 <laughs> times a year or every Tuesday and Friday. Uh, just say whatever you mean without saying bi-weekly. Yeah, yeah I'm to be usually clearer a, about it. Yes, yes, it's all about clarity, and I always like to have a single word for some concept, uh, if it's possible. But I just don't think it's possible with this particular word. So ostracize, send it into exile, um, you know, <laughs> vote it off the island. I don't know. What do you think, Leah? I think that I think that it could be laid to rest. Call us back sometime with another question, and maybe we can give you a fun answer. Perfect. Simply, I will. Okay. Well, thank you again. Take care. Bye bye. Ciao. Bye. bye. Ciao. Bye. Ciao. bye. <laughs> Call us early and often, 877 929 9673. We were talking not long ago about ice cream trucks, and we heard from Robin Winston who wrote to us and said, I was about three years old, and the then ubiquitous ice cream truck frequently drove through our neighborhood, and it was always playing some cheery song or other. And Robin says that her mother, who was then in her early 20s, didn't want to be nagged about ice cream. And so Robin says, whenever we heard those dulcet tones approaching, she told me, oh, listen, it's the music truck. The nice man drives around playing music for everybody. Isn't that brilliant? Yeah, she's not the only one who emailed us about that. Other parents had the same brilliant idea. Yeah, Robin says, imagine my surprise and delight when at age five I was playing at a friend's house near home and learned that the driver of the music truck also sold ice cream. (laughs) Eyes were opened that day. I don't know. I might be scarred for life. You didn't tell me there was ice cream. (laughs) The truth about ice cream and language revealed right here on Away With Words, 877-929-9673. Or find us all over social media. You can find all those links and addresses on our website at waywardradio.org. More about language and how we use it as Away With Words continues. Hey, we've got something special for those of you who love our show but could do without the ads. That's right. Imagine away with words, the same engaging conversations, the same deep dives into language without advertising interruptions. We're talking about our ad-free podcast feed. It's sleek, clean, and it's just for our supporters. It's at waywardradio.org slash ad-free. It's inexpensive easy to sign up for, and works with all major podcast apps like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It's an affordable way to support the show and get a seamless listening experience. 
And if you're feeling generous, why not give a subscription to another Away With Words fan? That's waywardradio.org slash adfree. Sign up today. Your support means the world. waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And sashaying across the floor is our quiz guy, John Chinesky. Hi, Martha. Hi, Grant. You know, I never miss a chance to sashay, so here I go. <laughs> a while ago, I heard people talking about this movie, Barbenheimer, and I got, <laughs> I got like, really excited because I would love to see a film about a walking, talking doll designing nuclear bombs. It sounded like <laughs> fun on a bun. Unfortunately, as you may know, it turned out to be two movies, and everyone was just smushing the two names together. Mm. However... I do love unceremoniously smushing two words together. Now, let's program some more double features. I'll give you a synopsis of a combined movie. You tell me the portmanteau of the two one-word movie titles that I used to create it. Okay? Yep. Oh, boy. Yep. All right. Here's one. Now, only the persistent investigation of a Minnesota chief of police can possibly track <laughs> down restless spirits and otherworldly demons like Gozer the Gozerian. <laughs> Uh, Far Ghostbusters? Ghostbusters. Far Ghostbusters, yes. Sign me up. Now, only four urbanized jungle animals can possibly defeat the violent drug lord, Tony Montana. Madagascar face. (laughs) Madagascar face, right? That's good. There you go. With a stirring title song by Adele, this Daniel Craig film is about a secret agent who helps a poor orphan boy just get some more gruel. <laughs> Sky Folliver. Sky Folliver, yes. With an exclamation point at the end, for sure. A creepy motel owner is so obsessed with his mother that he seeks her out in the Mexican land of the dead. Um. Psycho. Psychoco. Psychoco, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Now, there are just way too many special effects in this film about a baby boy who was lost in a jungle but is rescued and raised by huge blue aliens. Avatar Zan. Avatar Zan, yes. <laughs> a particularly intelligent collie teams up with an undersized racehorse to win races nobody thought they could. Lassie Biscuit. Lassie Biscuit. Nice. That's your double feature right there. Two animal movies. They work very well together. Finally, a grumpy ogre is redeemed when he finds the mythic sword of King Arthur. A grumpy ogre. Shrek something. Um... Excalibur? Shrek's Caliber? Shrek's Caliber, yes. Shrek's Caliber. You got it. I mean, is there any movie that wouldn't be improved with a Shrek? That's true. That's true. (laughs) Thanks so much, John. We really appreciate it. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you at the movies. (laughs) Ah, nice. I'll see you next week. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Martha and I and John and everyone else who's a part of this team love to talk to you about language. You know, we do more than give around with quizzes. We talk to you about your stories of language, the stuff that you read, the stuff that you discovered, the stuff you want to find out. 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. And if those aren't enough ways to reach us, you can find even more on our website at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Meg from Kentucky. Hello, Meg from Kentucky. Hello, Meg. When I was growing up um, in New England, outside Boston, my dad used to say this little thing all the time to children, um, sort of as an entertainment. He'd walk up behind you and, and whisper it in your ear or just say it over your shoulder. And it was, Ish biddly oaten doten, bobo bedeaten dotten, wanotten. And uh, I want to know where that came from. <laughs> All right. You got to do that again, Meg. Ish, biddly, oaten, doten, bobo, bedeaten, dotten, wanotten. Ish, biddly, oaten, doten, bobo, bedeaten, dotten. What's the end of it? Ish, biddly, oaten, doten, bobo, bedeaten, dotten, wanotten. 
<laughs> like a like a firecracker like a going out. Like a snake at the end. Like, like a snake at the end, something. Okay. And this was his idea of entertainment? <laughs> yeah, well, he couldn't really keep up with adult conversation, so he'd go off and mess with the kids. <laughs> oh, my God. And that was just yeah. one of his things. And he never said where it came from. Okay. And he used to also sing a couple of things about mosquitoes and bars of soap and things that I have discovered were camp songs from the 40s and 50s, maybe. Ah. Like, I wish oh. I was a little mosquito. And I think that probably came from my mother's sister and father. Um, just seems more like them. And, and my, my aunt, my mom's sister, was a Girl Scout for years in that era. Well, I tell you, the flashing lights went off as soon as you said camp over here. Yeah, I think probably there are lots of Girl Scouts and lots of Boy Scouts or anybody who's ever been away to sleepaway camp who's uh, singing right along with you. Or, Meg, they're saying, no, 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 I heard a different version. My version goes like this. Because I heard this at camp when I was a little kid. It's been around for decades, and it, it goes by various names. It's, it's part of a larger song um, called Flea Fly Flow, and it involves clapping or patting your hands, you know, kind of like patty cake. And uh, sometimes uh-huh. some versions of it get faster and faster and faster. Some of them get quieter and quieter and quieter and uh, end with that sort of hissing sound. But uh, the one that I learned as a kid was Flea, Flea Fly, Flea Fly flow, flea fly flow, la vista, achi kachi kumarachi ooh ah ah, ishkadiddly out and boat and bibi bidat and wat and tot and shh. And about what year would that be, Martha, if you don't mind me asking? 1894. <laughs> oh, you're like me, older than dirt. <laughs> I asked because there were, uh, I found a version in a Corona, California high school yearbook from 1964 that's very similar. It's on the page for the cheerleaders, and it's 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 very similar. And we had our, a caller, or we had a listener email us a version um, in 2016 uh, that was very similar as well. But it's uh, in the middle, it's cumulata, cumulata, viste. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, 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 not the viste. Ini, mini, desamini, uwa, uwa, walamini, hexamini, solamini, uwa. It does Yeah, that definitely sounds like a camp song when you put all that together. Yeah. <laughs> I can see lots of little heads bobbing along. There's another history here. Parts of this song have popped up in other arenas and, and movies and, and, uh, and songs outside yeah. of the camp experience. Yeah, for example, um, there was a 1964 Chubby Checker song, Kuma La Biste, which actually sounds very much like that. I mean, it's, it's the same melody, the Kuma La Biste. Mm-hmm. Cool. There's also a song in the 1944 movie National Barn Dance. It's called Down Home Rag, and it includes the words Deaton, Dot, and Deaton, the same words that appear in this camp song. And its lyrics are copyright 1939, so that gives us a early date to work with. And so that last part, the Deaton Dotton's got another history. So there's an idea here that maybe this camp song is pieced together from different parts of nonsense from other parts of American life, American folklore. Plus, we haven't even talked about jazz music and scat. No. So there's this whole history of scat starting about in the 1920s, which is incredibly similar to some of this. And so it's entirely possible all of this goes back to jazz music and scat. Uh, Thank you for uh, confirming some of my suspicions and giving me some more information that was completely new to me because... Oh, that's great. All right. Take care of yourself, Meg. Call us again sometime. Thank you. I will. All right. Be Bye. well. Bye. We would love to have you chant your camp songs into our phone, one 929 That's toll-free in the United States and Canada. Or send us a voice note. You can send it attached to email or attached to WhatsApp or attached to a text message. Find out how to do that on our website at waywardradio.org slash contact. Dee Camillo is the author of more than 25 books for children, including Tale of Despero, Flora and Ulysses, and Because of Winn-Dixie. 
And uh, talking about children's literature and the responsibility of writing an ending for a children's book that rings true, she said, We have been given this sacred task of making hearts large through story. We are working to make hearts that are capable of containing much joy and much sorrow, hearts capacious enough to contain the complexities and mysteries of ourselves and of each other. Grant, I just thought that was so lovely. That is very lovely. The sacred task of making hearts large. Yeah, yeah, capacious, you know? You have to be able to embrace the joy and the sorrow. I just thought that was a beautiful way of writing about books for children. I would expect the author of those books to come up with those phrases, (laughs) of course. The author's name again is... Kate DiCamillo. And you can share your favorite quotations about literature with us, words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Delisa Staten calling from Pauley's Island, South Carolina. Welcome to the show, Delisa. What can we do for you? Well, I had a question about a phrase that my mother-in-law used frequently. When she would prepare a large amount of food, for example, if we would be there for a meal on a weekend or something, she might say, I hope you're hungry because I have enough for Cox's Army. And I've never heard anyone else use that phrase, but I've found myself using it sometimes these days as as I've prepared food for my own family. So I thought I'd give you a call and see if you've heard other people say that before. Enough food for Cox's Army? That's C-O-X apostrophe, yes, Cox's? Well, that's the way it sounded to me, um, you know, so I I don't know if that's the, the way to say it or not, but that's what I would hear her say. <laughs> and Jalisa, was that always about food or did she use it in other ways? Um, I think she might have used it in other ways, too. Mm-hmm. Anytime okay. she had like an abundance of something, she would use that phrase. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. The The name Cox here has undergone a bit of a transformation over the years. Uh, just so you know, your mother-in-law wasn't the only person to use that expression. It's got history to it. There was a depression during the 1890s, and a fellow by the name of Jacob Coxey, that's C-O-X-E-Y, rallied the unemployed men of the nation to march on Washington, D.C., to demand relief from the government, to demand welfare of some kind, payments or or, or rations or food or whatever that they could get, jobs even. And these men came from around the country in, in groups large and small. A lot of them were farmers or laborers and All of them, though, had this common characteristic that they'd been hit hard by this depression. They had lost jobs, they'd lost farms, maybe houses, property. And as they came from around the country, they depended upon the generosity of others for their food and shelter. So, for example, Mm -hmm. in Massillon, Ohio, where the march started, the mayor gave them food and lodging. In Pittsburgh, the city council passed a resolution to give them food and shelter. And in Washington, D.C., the Salvation Army also gave them food and clothing. But in some places, they overwhelmed the resources that were available. Um, there wasn't enough food to go around. Um, they were arrested or the people didn't agree with their goals, considered them to be just lazy men who were looking for a handout and without earning it. Um, and in one place in Montana, they, the Coxieites, as they were known, they stole a train. So they weren't all up to, <laughs> <laughs> they didn't all have the best motives. So sure. as you might expect, there were a lot of different political opinions about this. And this this was all over the newspapers for a very long time. Coxie's mm-hmm. army became kind of the default term for these people because it really felt like they were literally marching as an army might upon Washington to make mm-hmm. a claim. And some people were, were worried that they were going to do something akin to military damage on the town and upon the officials oh. there. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the army got bigger and bigger as they got closer. Yeah, yeah. So they, they yeah, the army, the, the men, uh, it was almost all men, 
that that mm-hmm. gathered in Washington as they approached Washington, the the, the group became kind of astonishingly larger and, and began to worry officials. Any place mm-hmm. that these men passed through, they stripped clean because there were not a lot of resources for them. And whether they were given the food or they they stole it or or promised to pay mm-hmm. it back with IOUs, there was not a lot of food left when they passed through. So Cox's mm-hmm. army became known as a group of men who were hard to feed. And um, oh. and the whole the whole point of this is this is where the expression comes from. To feed Coxie's mm-hmm. army required a mm-hmm. lot of food and a lot of resources. Sure. Well, I appreciate that. I, I love your show and I listen to it every chance I get. And um, when I uh, heard your phone number to call, I thought, well, this is my chance to find out where this came from. So that's great. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much, Delisa. You take care of yourself. Okay. Y'all have a great day. Bye. Bye-bye. There have been other Coxes who have been said to be the source of Cox's army, but they're Mm -hmm. all later than this, and they are Mm -hmm. not the source of the expression Cox's Mm -hmm. army. Mm -hmm. So it is definitely Jacob Coxey who first organized this march on Washington in the 1890s. 877-929-9673. Hello. You have a way with words. Hi, hello. My name is Ronville Birdie, calling from Jacksonville, Florida. Welcome to the show, Ronville. Well, I'm a child of the 70s, I guess. And, you know, growing up, I always had this song, um, Manic Monday. And as I grew older, I became a mental health therapist. And being around bipolar individual, you'll hear the term, someone is manic. And I always wonder, like, where did this come from? Um, And how would you describe that? Um, well, from a mental health standpoint, is someone that's um, having risky behaviors, um, danger to themselves, um, they're somewhat um, frantic. Um, it's just like um, being over-anxious or being over-zealous in everything they do. They may clean a lot. They may... Uh, starting a lot of risky or uh, being promiscuous or mm-hmm. different things like that to where mm-hmm. they're having a manic episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting too, isn't it, that manic is both uh, used in a clinical setting, but it's also in the general population. Those of us who aren't therapists sometimes refer to someone as manic. Um, or, or like exactly. you said, the song Manic Monday. Just another Manic Monday, right? Yes. I mean, it had me go look up at that video, and I was like, okay, yeah, I can't really figure out from the video where it comes from. Okay. Well, let's let's see if we can unpack this word. Um, manic comes from the old word mania, which uh, goes oh. back to the ancient Greek word mania, which means a madness or a frenzy. So you might talk about uh, the mania of soldiers rushing into battle in antiquity, or or also somebody who is mad, who who is just uh, raging and furious, um, and so it it has to do with that same kind of uh, frenetic energy and rapid speech and sometimes your loosely connected thoughts and and delusions of grandeur. Um, And in the 14th century, it was used uh, that way in English, mania, to describe that kind of behavior. And of course, we also get the word maniac from that. Uh, All those words go back to an extremely ancient root that may be related to words like mind and mental. And um, it's, Mm. it's also extended to words like megalomania and kleptomania and nymphomania. And um, those are pathological conditions. But then we also have, for example, beetlemania, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Okay. So it's a very old word. That makes a lot of sense. (laughs) I thank you guys for clearing that up for me. (laughs) Sure thing. Thank you, Ronville. Take care of yourself. Be well. All righty. Bye-bye. Yes. Bye-bye. Martha and I are here to help. You can find a dozen ways to reach us on our website at waywardradio.org or send us an email today, right now, to words at waywardradio.org. Got a minute? We need your help. Head over to gum.fm slash words and share your thoughts in our quick survey. Your feedback matters. It's the backbone of our show's success. Thanks for making our show even more successful. That's gum.fm slash 
W-O-R-D-S. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And Grant, did you know that a turkey's head can change colors? Maybe you know this from growing up on a farm. A turkey's head can change colors. Yes, I did know this. Sometimes even the the wattle can become bluish. Yes, I learned this only today, that depending on its mood, a turkey's skin can shift from red to blue to white because the skin has these bundles of collagen interspersed with lots of blood vessels. And so if the bird is angry or agitated, the spacing between those collagen fibers changes when the blood vessels swell or contract. And I learned this because I went down something of a turkey rabbit hole, to mix metaphors, when I found out that the Japanese word for turkey, which is something like shihimencho, translates as seven-faced bird. Isn't that wonderful? It's because of the change of color. Seven-faced bird? Yes. That sounds like a political insult. Well, it's it's a descriptive word for this kind of bird, and there's a similar word in Korean. I learned it from the book, The Wheel is Spinning, But the Hamster is Dead, A Journey Around the World in Idioms, Proverbs, and General Nonsense by Adam Sharp. That sounds like a fantastically fun book, Martha. It really is. It's a great browsing book. It gathers sayings from around the world, and, and as you can imagine, some of them are coarse or body, but that's often the way that people talk, right? Yeah, so you've bookmarked those sections for me. (laughs) Well, I also have some of the cleaner ones. In Ireland, if you want to describe someone who's always showing off or engaging in one-upmanship, you can say, if you've been to Tenerife, he's been to (laughs) Elevenerife. I've heard that one before. (laughs) Oh, have you? (laughs) Yeah, that's lovely. I like it. (laughs) Or you'll really like this one, too. If you've got an elephant, he's got the box it came in. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I'm still going back to the turkey with the chromatophores, though. Like, oh, right? The turkey that like can change colors like a an octopus. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still thinking the, about that. <laughs> the seven-faced bird. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, so much to learn, and so, and much so to many jumping-off points in this book. We'll link to this book on our website, and the book again is "The Wheel Is Spinning, But the Hamster Is Dead." And despite the dreary title, it sounds (laughs) like a lovely and exciting book. We'll have a link to it on our website. And we'd love to hear about what you're reading or those fun idioms and expressions from wherever you live in the world. And whatever languages you speak, English or not, doesn't matter. You can send them to us in email, words at waywardradio.org, or talk to us on social media. All of our accounts are on our website at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Tim from Jacksonville, Florida. Hey, Tim. Welcome. What's up? Hey, um, so I'm calling in because I have a couple words that have been uh, sort of following me around my entire life. I've been made fun of for the way I've said them. The the way I say the words um, milk and eggs, which uh, it's funny. My, my ex used to tell me the way I said it used to send a shiver down her spine. Um, and oh, I guess when no. I, when I've, uh, when I've broken down the words, uh, it, it, I, I sort of get where they're getting at. Um, instead of, uh, uh, milk, like, 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 a, a till or a miller, I say milk or instead of, uh, eggs, like beggar, I say eggs. And I have, um, uh, a mother who has a pretty strong South Carolinian accent and then, uh, a father who is from Canada and has pretty strong Newfoundland accent. And I was just wondering if um, maybe I picked up those words or pronunciations from them, or maybe it's something locally from my region. I'm not quite sure. Were you raised in Jacksonville? I was raised in Jacksonville, yes. I was here for most of my life. Okay. And so you say, so milk as in the white dairy product from cows, M-I-L-K, you say it how? Like M-E-L-K, milk. Uh, it sounds right to me, but to uh, most people I say to, they, they'll stop me and they're like, what? And, uh, and so, yeah. <laughs> and then the whites or brown spheroid objects from chickens <laughs> that we fry for breakfast, you say those as? As eggs, like like in um, 
uh, almost like A G E S, you know, like instead of like uh, egg, as in like beggar. So yeah, so and most people would expect to hear milk or eggs. Martha, yeah. what do you say? I say milk and eggs. Milk and eggs, and you know what's yeah. funny, Tim? There are a number of people listening who either can't hear the difference between you and Martha, or <laughs> they're hearing you say it, Tim, and they're like, "Oh yeah, that sounds right. That sounds fine to me." <laughs> milk. Milk sounds 100% fine. Let, let, it let feels me ask weird you. Saying it. <laughs> but you, just because people have teased you for it. Yeah, 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 that's true. When you go to bed at night and there is the fluffy thing at the top of the bed where you, the head of the bed that you put your head on, what do you call that? Pillow. Say it again? Pillow. You don't say pillow, P-E-L-L-O-W. No, no, I don't say pillow. I don't say pillow. Well, let me put you at ease. And Martha and I don't do a lot of finger wagging on this show, but, and I don't want to do any now, but people <laughs> should just relax a little bit when they hear you say milk and eggs. Because both of those pronunciations are sprinkled throughout the United States. I want to focus, because it's just going to take too long to do both, but let's focus on milk, M-I-L-K, and your pronunciation, okay. milk. It is especially common in the Great Lakes. We'll get to Tallahassee in a minute. But it is found throughout the United States and Canada. It is found throughout oh. North America. Uh, field reports exist for it for the, at least the last hundred years. So it's not even new, including parts of the Carolinas, where your mom is from, and parts of Canada, where your dad is from. So it is entirely possible that you picked it up from them, even if you don't exactly hear them say it. There may be occasions where you hear them say it. Um, some people try to pin that milk, M-E-L-K, pronunciation on Dutch or German heritage because there are words like that in those languages. But really what's happening is just a function of a certain type of a vowel before a certain type of L, the letter L. It's called mm -hmm. lax vowel lowering, lax, L-A-X. And it's a linguistic term, lax, not a negative comment about someone's motivation to speak well. <laughs> and so I just want to clarify here. This is something happening in sprinkled patches throughout North America. It doesn't make you a bad speaker. It's a dialect feature. This is something happening in the language because of the structure of words, because sound, one sound follows another sound. And so it's a natural thing to happen in the mouth. So um, okay. it's not surprising to hear you say it. That makes uh, that that actually is uh, very quite interesting. Now it makes me want to go uh, talk to my two sides of the family and see which ones I might have picked it up. So from. those are those aren't exactly the same sounds. But I just want to point out that it is incredibly common as language languages change and morph for vowels to fluctuate and they move and they become new things. We've had. Um, Vowel shifts happen in English as a whole. We've had vowel shifts currently uh -huh. taking place right now as we speak in North America. And this milk pronunciation may end up being permanent, uh, at least for some speakers of some dialects of North American English. So it well, is always, it it's always it changing. <laughs> so when people ask you why you say milk, what you need to say is it's a dialect feature. It's just who I am, and it's based upon how I speak. It's my idiolect. Idiolect is your personal language and all its features put together. Tim, you got to run out and order a coffee with milk right now? <laughs> milk? Yeah, I'll crack, I'll crack, crack a few eggs, too. So. Eggs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Take care of yourself, Tim. Thanks for calling. I appreciate you. Bye-bye. Right, okay, bye. Appreciate you, too. Call us with your language question, 877-929-9673. saw a tweet I really liked from poet and teacher Francis Klein, who wrote, My friend just referred to the overemphasized voice people use to read poems as spoken garamond. Oh, <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. I love it. It's a word. I'm feeling the word. It's spoken garamond. 
And of course, that has me imagining what different typefaces would sound like, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do, is it a different typeface for, for haiku than it is for limericks? <laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking of spoken comic sans. <laughs> I think a spoken common sans has got to be in like some hack, hack comics voice, right? What's the hackiest comic you can think of? <laughs> <laughs> Who, whose voice is in papyrus? <laughs> is it Charleston <laughs> Heston? Let my people go. <laughs> That's pretty good. Uh, we'd love to hear the voices that you can match with your favorite typefaces, 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Anna in Concord, North Carolina. Concord, right outside of Kannapolis. I know it well. Exactly. And it's not Concord, it's Concord. Right. <laughs> Concord. We are in Concord about Concord. Hi, That's Anna. Welcome correct. to the show. What is on your mind? Well, my family and I were having pizza for dinner the other night, and my son happened to mention that he had told a friend of his that he will sometimes give our dog pizza bones. And the dog will carry them around and just use them as a toy rather than a snack. But anyway, this friend said that she had never heard the term pizza bones before. And that got us to thinking, well, where did we start using it? And and I seem to recollect that way back in the late 70s, early 80s, maybe, I knew somebody that worked at a Pizza Hut, and I believe that that might be where I first heard the term pizza bones used, and I've been using it ever since. And my husband and I uh, worked for a long time um, in Cleveland, and the backstage crew and uh, theater tech people that we hung out with the most always seemed to use the term pizza bones. And we didn't have any idea where it came from. So we thought we'd ask you. Well, Anna, I think the big question is, does your family eat the pizza bones? It depends on who made the pizza and how good the crust is. Right, right. You... <laughs> pizza bones are the crust. After you've eaten the soft stuff with the cheese and the sauce, it's the hard right. outer rim. Yes, yeah, some people eat them. Some people never do. Right, right. And I think you're right that it depends on the pizza. I mean, you get a good wood-fired pizza with those kinds of, of leopard spot, uh, you know, slightly burned parts on the pizza bones. I will gobble those up. How about you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Especially if it's really good thin crust. Yes, yes. And, you know, I had never heard this term pizza bones until about 10 years ago when somebody called with that very same question. And oh. uh, they used the term pizza bones. And since then, I've seen a lot of discussions where people um, argue over whether it's a crust or pizza bones. And it seems like particularly dog lovers like to call them pizza bones because you can just picture, you know, Rover coming up to the table and, and handing them uh, the bones. So that's what I use now is, is pizza bones. But there are different terms for this. Um, certainly crust and some people call it a dough lip. We also had a caller a who lip. said... A dough lip. You can't just go right by that. Dough lip? Like L-I-P? <laughs> Yes, yes, like huh. like the lip of the dough over the pan, you know, it's it's the dough lip. And um, we also had a caller one time who said that what they do is they call it the dashboard, which I kind of like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like the dashboard in a car kind of blocking things. And then in Italian, it's il cornicione, which uh, is uh, the cornice, you know, like an architectural mm. term. Yeah, so pizza bones has been around for a while. Grant, I'm not sure how long, but uh, it's certainly something that a lot of people use. Yeah, I don't know how long either. Um, it's right up there with pizza handles and pizza rind. You know, Ooh. that left rind <laughs> suggests that you're not going to eat it like you wouldn't eat usually the the rind of an orange. Although some people do. But, pizza um, handle, I like that. Yeah, the handle. It's what you're holding the pizza by. But that also <laughs> suggests that maybe you're not going to eat it. The thing is, if it's really hard, what you do, you make sure that you have some extra marinara and you dip it. That's what you do with it if it's hard. Soften it Ooh. up a little bit and then you can finish it. Oh. Or garlic butter. Mm. Garlic butter. I was going for something of fewer calories, Martha. <laughs> um, the Japanese call it something like pizza no mimi, which means pizza ear. 
So it's the ear of the pizza. Like you might <laughs> grab somebody by the ear to hold them still. <laughs> but, they, but it sticks out, right? Just like an ear does. Yeah. So, Anna, to answer your original question, yes, there are lots of people who use the term pizza bones. And I think particularly people who have dogs as companions. <laughs> well, that certainly makes a lot of sense. But I had never heard dough lip or dashboard or pizza. I think I've heard pizza rind before, but the other two mm-hmm. have never before. So those are mm-hmm. some good terms to throw out, too. Thank you for sharing with us, Anna. Call us again sometime. All right. Thank you very much. Have a good afternoon. All, all right. right. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. So put your phone up to your pizza hole and give us a call, 877-929-9673, and talk to us about the sling that you use and where you picked it up. Following up on our conversation about a possible better term for mocktail, that is a drink that doesn't have alcohol in it, We heard from Rob Keim from Walcott, New York, and he noted that a food magazine he was perusing used the term zero-proof drink. And Rob says, that sounds a bit better and more grown-up than virgin cocktail or mocktail. What do you think, Grant? Oh, I love it. Zero-proof. So 100-proof is 50% alcohol, and so zero-proof is 0% alcohol. (laughs) But it sounds fancy. Well, it does sound fancy. And in fact, Rob posted to our Facebook group uh, the article that he was reading that had that in it. And it is a recipe for a harissa pomegranate cocktail. And I got to share this with you, Grant, because it sounds amazing. It includes cool Lapsang Souchong black tea, pomegranate juice, lemon juice, harissa simple syrup, rose water, pink peppercorns for garnish, and to give it a vegan-friendly froth, a half ounce of aquafaba, which I learned is liquid from canned chickpeas. Oh, that would froth up nicely. And so you get a little bit of a punch from the red peppercorns and the harissa. And what was the first ingredient? A cool lapsang shoot. <laughs> and, and, and then the caffeine from the tea. So it actually has a little bit of something for you, right? It sounds like it's got a lot. I don't know if zero proof applies to that. Right. That's almost a, <laughs> a, an energy drink. <laughs> but no alcohol. 877-929-9673. Our team includes senior producer Stephanie Levine, engineer and editor Tim Felton, and quiz guide John Chinesky. We'd love to hear from you, no matter where you are in the world. Go to waywardradio.org contact. Subscribe to the podcast, hear hundreds of past episodes, and get the newsletter at waywardradio.org. Whenever you have a language story or question, our toll-free line is open in the U.S. and Canada. 1-877-929-9673. Or send your thoughts to words at waywardradio.org. Away With Words is an independent production of Wayward, Inc., a nonprofit supported by listeners and organizations who are changing the way the world talks about language. Special thanks to Michael Breslauer, Josh Eccles, Claire Grotting, Bruce Rogo, Rick Seidenworm, and Betty Willis. Thanks for listening. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. Until next time, goodbye. Bye.